And now a message from our sponsor. Hey everybody, it's Bootleg Captain, Captain Bootlegs here. Yeah. If you're like me, I bet you're enjoying this Toys, Toys on, on Tap, Tap podcast. Yeah, I am enjoying it, it's very nice. But did you know you can enjoy it more just by joining that Patreon? Oh, I did not know that. There are so many cool perks available on the Patreon for you. There's and also and Wow, that's really a lot of stuff if you ask Bootleg Captain. Captain I don't bootleg. understand. There were noises I couldn't hear with the person. So join today to support Toys on Tap podcast and Bootleg Art Toys. But if you're not in a position to join the Patreon, head on over to Apple iTunes and review and subscribe. That helps out the channel as well. Okay, I'll go rate it, I guess. And remember, listen to Toys, Toys on, on Tap. Captain Bootleg, the bootleg captain sent you. Why does he keep referring to himself in the third Can person? I stop with the stupid voice now? I'm not sure why you made me want to sound like a pirate. Oh, so that was a fake voice. Oh, yucko! I didn't realize it was just pretend voice. Oh, okay. morning joe hey good morning can you hear oh, me yeah and that shirt is just awesome well you know i i did my homework and listened to one of your previous interviews and i heard one of the other guests wearing a shirt from your show so i thought i would dress appropriately perfect <laughs> i as a as a start to this i gotta tell you this is the like the best interview i've ever done no way yeah, so here's why. I have two photos from when I was a kid, only two that I can think of. One of them, I'm holding a, a cowboy of Moo Mesa, and the other one, I'm holding Slamu. And it's just like it, it, it built me from when I was young. My favorite of all the sharks is Slamu because it incorporates the name of my company in the oh, name. I love it. I the love it. Big Slamu comes from. Mr. Joe's really big productions, which everyone yeah. made fun of when I named my company that <laughs> back in the nineties. But uh, it's I it's love been, it. The worst the worst part of it is filling in any form. Yeah. I mean, just suggest to you if you name a company, uh, try to keep it within a couple of words. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so this is Toys on Tap. The general purpose of this show is usually toy makers. So do you want to introduce yourself and Maybe give us a snapshot of who you are. Sure. I'm Joe Galliani. I'm the president of Mr. Joe's Really Big Productions. And I'm the creator, or technically the co-creator, of the Jawsome and Fantastic Street Sharks. And that's been one part of a very multifaceted life for me that has taken me from toys to politics to finance to renewable energy. And uh, now in this latest chapter of my life, I'm prolifically writing plays and enjoying watching them produced and performed in a theater in Santa Monica, California. Holy moly. That Perfect. So you sent me, I mean, we'll probably just as a, a storyline, we're probably going to talk about your life, early career and everything. And we'll end on the Jossum team themselves. Happy to go in any direction you want to go. I love it. So let's talk early career. Career. You sent me that entire list. Holy moly. How did you get started in this type of business that you're in and working with toys and uh, cartoons and story writing, all of that? Completely by accident. Okay. Um, I, I moved to California when I was 19 to become a world famous actor. And perhaps you've seen my work. <laughs> 
<laughs> I, uh, I, I spent a little time in Texas on my way to California. I grew up in, on the East Coast, born in Brooklyn, and then uh, formative years in New Jersey. Came west, stop in Texas, and I was fortunate enough uh, to do some commercials and some acting in Texas that got me into the Screen Actors Guild. So with my handy union card, I moved to California certain that I was going to be a big star. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I was at uh, Zookie's Deli in Santa Monica, where I was your graveyard shift host. But um, I, I got to meet Arnold Schwarzenegger there before he was really Arnold Schwarzenegger. He was this bodybuilder that worked out at Gold's and came in after working out to eat really yeah. <laughs> fattening food and carbo yeah. load. But in any case, um, my, that's being an actor brought me to California. And then I got an agent uh, who told me that I had a face for writing. <laughs> and so uh, I switched gears and I wrote, um, I think, six or seven screenplays that nobody wanted to turn into movies. And I was home writing my eighth screenplay when my wife got a job at Mattel Toys as a secretary. Mm. And uh, I started to feel guilty because she was working, bringing in money. I wasn't. And uh, so I said to her, hey, see if they have some grunt job or something there that I can do. And I can shift gears and write at night because I should be making some money, too. Yeah. And uh, so I immediately felt less guilty, went back to writing screenplays. <laughs> but she called that same afternoon and she said, hey, I got you a job at Mattel. Uh, you'll be a temp. You'll be getting paid $8 an hour. And I think this was 1985. So that was okay by me. Yeah. Um, and she said, and you'll be working in the samples department. <clears throat> and you'll be a board turner. I had no idea what that meant. But I said, fine. And I showed yeah. up the next day at the samples department. And it turned out that a board turner was a guy that worked backstage during line previews, which is the, in, the, in the Mattel world, at least, the first time that buyers get to see early looks at toys, mm. both in, in prototype form and in concept form. And they have a theater, a presentation theater for this, with two turntable stages. And so each of the stages, half of the circle is in the theater presenting whatever's been set up on that st stage mm -hmm. the other half of that stage is backstage where guys like me set up uh, masters of the universe and barbies and hot wheels toys awesome. and it was incredibly stressful and highly demanding <laughs> i didn't know that i mean at that point in 1985 there had already been more than enough masters characters introduced and each of them had names that were completely unfamiliar to me yeah. and so and people were yelling Get me He-Man, get me Oko, get me this Bumblebee. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know what the heck these are. And somebody kindly gave me um, samples of all the toys to take home and learn their names. Nice. And, and fortunately for me, I kept all of those toys new in package and stashed them away, um, which is how, you know, there are a lot of different toy collectors, as you may know from your show, mm -hmm. but I'm the, I'm the kind of toy collector that learned about collecting when I worked at Mattel and watched the Hot Wheels collector, collector section of the company and the Barbie collectibles. And then I started to write for them, and we'll get to that. But um, I saw um, the monetary side of collecting. And so um, the very beginnings of my days at Mattel, I, I never took toys out of package, and I put them <laughs> away to store them for 30 years later. Yeah. Um, but in any case, I got that job in samples, and I literally um, was the lowest man on the totem pole, so that meant that I 
took the cardboard boxes out to flatten them, <laughs> to, to recycle them. And I swept the basement and I carried boxes from one building to another. But I also really learned the toy business. And at that time, I had a, a show that paid me nothing on PBS uh, called the, uh, the Traveling Gourmet that I had written. So I was at least able to tell marketing people who I was trying to get work from as a writer, yeah. hey, you know, I'm a writer. Check out my show on TV. Um, and they weren't really that interested. But um, during the line presentations, I started to suggest um, better lines for the marketing people. And they mm -hmm. started to, to use some of those. And eventually one of them gave me a writing gig because I kept telling people I'm a writer. I'm not really a samples guy. I don't really know how to make these cardboard comps for the packages. I cut them very poorly. I had literally no physical skills that would have made me <laughs> a good employee yeah. in that department. But, um, but eventually, uh, one of the, the folks gave me a job writing, and this is before the internet. And so I was writing one-minute Barbie and Hot Wheels and Boglin stories for a, a 1-900 number, uh, where the stories cost kids a dollar a minute. Ask your, ask your parents before you call 1-900-900-Barbie. And so I was writing for $50 a story, one-minute stories. And and they all, you know, they gave me the style guide and the Bible for Barbie and Hot Wheels to stay true to the characters mm -hmm. and the products. But the Boglins had no backstory, uh, had no Bible. And they said, make stuff up. And so I started to write the Boglin stories, basing each of the different Boglin characters on well-known personalities in marketing at Mattel. Mm. And and I wrote very funny stories, and they started to get passed around amongst the different marketing people when they saw that I was making fun of their colleagues, um, and so <laughs> those stories are what led me um, to be offered to um, begin to write Toy Fair scripts, and that was my real in at Mattel. Starting in '88, I started writing first, and Mattel, God love them, did pre pre Toy Fair pre-Toy Fair, and then Toy Fair, and each of those major productions, each of them requiring new scripts for whatever the, the latest ideation of the product was. Um, and Mattel, back in those days, um, as well as Hasbro and the other competitors, did incredible jobs at creating <clears throat> Disneyland-like environments and hiring, at that time we used to hire from two to 300 New York professional actors for New York Toy Fair. Holy moly. And all of a sudden, I had this incredible gold mine of script writing that kept me busy for six months a year. And then and my stuff was good. So I, you know, I became Mr. Barbie at a certain point. In fact, I, my first email address is Mr. Barbie at AOL.com, which you can still send me email at. Yeah. And at that point, Jill Barad who later became CEO, was the head of girls' toys at Mattel. And I, being a smart guy, went to her before I, I, saw, I solidified that email address and said, is this okay with you? And she said, well, sure. <laughs> and I don't think if they had any idea what was going to happen with the Internet, they ever would have said okay. Yeah. But be that as it may, um, I really went, I went to the University of Mattel. And I was there at just the greatest time in the toy industry in terms of how much money was invested in new products and in productions like Toy Fair. 
um, to excess, of course. That's what the 90s were all about. Yeah. But, um, but I had an incredible time and a rise up through the ranks. And what, what, what was so great for my career was people didn't stay in one job with one company. And as people left Mattel to go to, in many cases, entertainment companies here in Southern California, as well as other toy companies, the executives that I worked with at Mattel started to hire me at all those other companies. And so uh, I sent you a list of my credits from oh, yeah. the 90s. And, and I had an attitude of, if there is money on the table, I will not say no to a job. And I was at times juggling eight, 10 assignments. And I was always in death fear that, that deadlines would converge all in one day <laughs> and I would somehow get screwed. But I was known and I prided myself on never missing a deadline. And in the entire corporate career that I had for 25 years, I never missed a deadline. I charged top dollar as I got better and better. And I was known as a, as a hired gun <laughs> that you could bring in uh, to write speeches, to do videos, live presentations. I did, I wrote songs for Barbies. Um, wow. Um, Jubilee. So I, that was an incredible time. <clears throat> and then a guy that worked at Mattel named Joe Ferreira somehow got the rights when, um, when Mattel didn't re-up them for Major Matt Mason, mm -hmm. Mattel's man in space. And Joe wanted to create a whole new brand for Major Matt, and he hired me to write a graphic novel that he illustrated. <clears throat> and so we wrote a, a, a graphic novel called Men from Earth about the second race to the moon, this time, of course, because it was 1990, against the Japanese. Uh, we were racing them to exploit the moon uh, because I believe the Japanese wanted to build an amusement park there mm. in our comic. <laughs> yeah. So we took that comic um, to the 1991 Comic-Con. We interrupted this broadcast of Toys on Top to bring you this. Meanwhile, the galaxy of bootleg treasures. DOV2, we have an engine failure. We almost crash land on DKE Toy Planet. Oh my, we're doomed. Wait, salvation. Hooray, we're saved, DOV2. Limited edition custom artist made action figures and DKE toys. Check out www.dkatoys.com for a full catalog. For custom action figures. DKE. Which was the first Comic Con held in San Diego at the convention center. Mm -hmm. And I'd never heard of Comic Con. I had no idea. And in, and in fact, back then, it wasn't what it is now, which is this, you know, iconic event. Back then, it was not as well known, and mostly people in the industry or, or real aficionados were going. Far less cosplay. And in fact, it was so humble then that Joe and I had a table for Men From Earth. Um, and we were able to write on three by five index cards and then hand to a guy anything we wanted read over the PA system. <laughs> <laughs> so I will admit that I made up a whole story about um, Giuseppe Galliani having flown in from Milan yep. um, to sit at the table um, as he was me. And so I did a pigeon Italian accent. But be that as it may, Perfect. that Comic-Con... David Siegel from Street Kids, mm -hmm. sometimes called Street Wise, they had a lot of different names, came and, long story short, licensed the rights to our comic book, said, I want to turn this into a toy line. 
and we were obviously blown away. It was a, a great, great Comic-Con for us. And we came back and we got offices at David's, um, at his, his place of business on National Boulevard in West L.A. And we went to work. And after we were there about a week working on developing the toy line and extensions and the backstory and, uh, for, for the toys, David said he wanted to meet with me independent of Joe. And he asked, hey, do you ever work without this guy as your partner? And I said, yeah, but I'm not going to, you know, we're, we're partners on this. And he said, no, no, I'm not talking about your, your Men from Earth comic book. Uh, I have an idea for something and I'd like to work with you, but I already have illustrators and graphic designers. And so I don't need the other Joe for this one. Mm. So I said, fine. I took a meeting with him and. And he basically said, I want to do something with sharks. And I did this other thing with dinosaurs where it was a real moneymaker for me because I was able to do four figures, but just one mold. And we did different deco and paint jobs on the dinosaurs to make them look different. But it was really cost effective for me because just one mold. So I want to do the same thing with sharks. Come up with, but this time I want to have a backstory and characters, you know, that stuff you do. And so... Um, I'll pay you $5,000 to create the characters and the, and the storyline um, and come back to me in a week with uh, a two-pager. I thought, great. And then I went home, but I don't just do stuff off the top of my head. I always do research mm-hmm. and take a deep dive because that's really the fun of it. And that's always what makes whatever you're working on legit and better. And so I, first thing I did, I have a library within walking distance of my house here. And I went to say, I'd like to check out the library books you have for kids uh, about sharks. And a woman gives me a clipboard. She said, put your name here. I said, why? She said, there's a waiting list for the books, on, the kids' books on sharks. I said, oh, really? How come? She said, little boys love sharks. Those books are always checked out. And a lot of times they steal them and we have to charge their parents. I said, wow. So I decided, um, oh, there are too many cool sharks. I started to, to see great whites and thrashers and all the different um, other kinds of sharks that there were. Yeah. And I thought, no, we've got to, this is an opportunity to do really unique and very cool looking characters. And it'll be worth your money to make four molds mm-hmm. instead of just one because uh, this could be really cool. And so... Instead of two pages, and I went nuts, as I sometimes do, and I wrote a one page each on all of the four main characters that I decided there should be, because four is always a really good number, which mm-hmm. we learned from other toy lines. Um, and then um, I created uh, a backstory of how they became half man, half shark. Um, and then because I was brought in specifically because of my Mattel background, and because I had been writing the Mattel Outside Inventor Award Show for, I don't know, four or five years at that point. I knew very specifically what Mattel was looking for in an outside um, toy line. Mm -hmm. And so I incorporated vehicles and accessories into my um, uh, explanation of how the toys would go beyond just uh, the the figures. Mm -hmm. And then I included a... um, I set up for an animated series and I outlined 13 episodes of where the story arc could go. And so I had a, a real strong package to bring him um, for my $5,000 payment. And when he read it, he said, oh, man, this is we, we don't want to make this here. We want to take this to Mattel. You know, Mattel, you 
get us a meeting. <laughs> I said, <laughs> they won't take a meeting with us. One rule Mattel has, this catch-22 rule about uh, outside inventions is they will not take a pitch from anybody that hasn't already had a track record with toys in somebody's line or mm. ha- or who has a property that has an entertainment uh, vehicle already attached to it, an animated series, a book series, a movie. If it has that, then we'll then we'll take a meeting with somebody that's never invented a toy before. But um, outside of that, we won't meet with them. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, why don't you ask him? <laughs> so I said, sure, no harm in asking. And I, but I said, if they say yes, and, we, and this becomes something that you're not going to make and a major toy company is going to make, I need to have royalties. I created these characters and the story, and if that's what sells, I need to have 10%. And he said, fine, write up a memo, and I'll sign it. And I, I wrote up a deal memo that basically said, for the $5,000 you paid me and 10% of, of whatever becomes of this, I'll, I'll do this with you as your gun for hire, um, which made, meant that I didn't own any part of the copyright or trademarks, yeah. but, that I had, but I was going to get a percentage. And that was fine with me. I wasn't, at that point, I, I didn't know enough, and I wasn't interested in trademarks and copyrights. I just wanted to get paid and to be fairly paid if, if the thing did anything. So I went to Dave Okada, who was the head of boys' toys at Mattel, and I basically explained the whole story to him. I said, hey, I did this comic, and this guy licensed the rights of the comics. You had me write this thing. Are you interested? And he said, I don't know. What's it about? And I told him. He said, yeah, we'll take a meeting. It's you. We know you. You're not going to do anything where we won't want you to do. So, yeah, we'll take a meeting with you. this guy if you say he's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so we get the meeting. And long story short, the meeting goes fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, Dave Akata right away gets it. Um, and I see, because he's sitting not far from me in, in, the, in the conference room that we're in, I see he's already making sketches of sharks and things as we're doing the pitch to him. And I'm expli- going through all the characters and the backstory and my ideas for toy lines and accessories. And let me say, Almost nothing that I pitched in that in that written presentation um, is what actually came. Oh no, <laughs> no. I mean the four characters, yes, but we, yeah. but but the storyline and how they became sharks and all of that. I worked with um, Alton, um, the lead designer at that time, and we went back and forth on what if this, what if that, because they quickly rejected my. I you know I have an environmental bent. And so I had a whole environmental uh, nuclear waste uh, um, yeah. setup of how they became sharks, and and we we decided to go with the Doctor Paranoid <laughs> yeah. instead, but which was fine. Yeah. But um, but that meeting, I have to say, uh, you know, I've had a lot of meetings in my life where you're there pitching or presenting something. That may have been the most exciting meeting I've ever had because at at a certain point when we were done. Dave looks around the room at the marketing guys, and these are all people I had been working with for years in a whole Mm -hmm. different capacity as their, you know, as as their vendor. Uh, Dave says, yeah, we want this. Let's do this. Wow. And then he turns to somebody and says, write up a deal memo, and we'll, we'll start the process. And the process takes quite a while because, you know, that that's the exciting part. Then the scary, really crappy part is, going through toy testing and focus group testing 
and uh, when they bring in kids and you sit behind that glass wall and watch them uh, and knowing that, you know, the kid, God love him, says, yeah, I hate this. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, kid. But uh, but that's not what happened. It just kept the odds were greatly against us. But I also knew from writing Toy Fair scripts that there was a big hole in Mattel's boy toys line. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember right now because it was so long ago, but there was something they were counting on that dropped out. And mm-hmm. then all of a sudden, they didn't have enough boys' toys for the next year. And so that really, it was timing beyond, you know, beyond everything else um, that we had going for us. That Because the odds of, of Street Sharks ever coming to fruition by Mattel, based on the road that I just described, are a million to one. Yeah. That just doesn't happen. And, you know, I, I pitched one toy line in my career and it sold. And, yeah. it did, <laughs> and it did well. And here we are, you know, all these years later. And I have now, um, thanks to, you know, selling the vintage toys that I have, I have relationships with men all over the world. I'm Kuala Lumpur, Italy. I have so many new friends, young friends in their 30s who grew up playing with the sharks and who are now buying them or communicating with me. It's, it's for somebody that didn't have children, it's completely fascinating to me because so many of the, the guys that I'm in touch with the brotherhood of the fin force um, are people that, you know, I, I'm old enough to be their father. So, (laughs) but I'm nobody's father. I'm somebody's kid. And so that's how I retain, you know, my ability to, to look at toys and, and the, the popular culture that we're involved in um, from a different perspective than being a parent or a grown up or an adult. Yeah. And it, it's so incredible. Toys are seeing this weird resurgence with people my age around their yeah. 30s. Tell me about it. Well, you know, there's, there's another weird convergence of different events. COVID had everybody at home mm-hmm. and, People all of a sudden, as a result, too, of not going out and spending money the way they used to, getting um, stimulus checks, in in some cases unemployment, all of a sudden people had more disposable income and less places to go and spend it. And so I've been I've been blown away by the the um, robustness, if you will, of the adult collector market, especially on the men's side. I mean, Barbie has always been something that women have been um, connecting with their youth through and paying thousands and thousands of dollars for um, even clothes and accessories. But I don't think any of us saw uh, at least the the price inflation of toys from the 80s and 90s um, at all. Now, I did see, I will say, that, that people say to me now, well, God, you had... 20, 30 cartons of street sharks, new in package in your attic. Uh, wow, that was lucky. And I said, <laughs> no, wasn't lucky uh, because I went and purchased all of those at retail uh-huh. so that I could get cartons and cartons of them um, because I was able to buy them at the Mattel store with the employee discount. Yeah. Um, and I did it specifically. I said to my wife at the time when the Kids playing with these toys are in their 30s. I'm bringing them out of the attic and I will sell these. Yeah. Now, I never, and I had no idea that, the, you know, I thought, well, you know, maybe these toys I paid eight and nine dollars for will be worth 30 or 50 dollars. And 
30 years. Uh, um, so much more. Yes, ri- ridiculously so, I have to say. And when when I decided to put up a website and, and sell my sharks, I put together um, an a, a advisory board. Uh, be, through Facebook, I found the Street Sharks Jawsome group and the Street Sharks Italia group and the Street Sharks Australia group. And I yeah. reached out to, um, it became clear who the top collectors were and the most expert um, folks on those sites were. And I asked them if they would help me um, price my products because I didn't know what, what I had was worth these days. And I said, I'm only looking to be fair to me and to anyone else, I'm not looking to set new price records, but I also don't want to be a dope and put yeah. something online that's worth, you know, $500 for $50. So it was very interesting because we went back. I sent them a list of everything I had. I took photographs of everything first and shared it with them. And there was a lot of back and forth um, from them determining the prices. And I went with those prices. Um, and almost all of my boxed sharks now I had, gosh, I would have had about 175 new inbox toys. And I think I have about 35 left since oh, went on sale in August. It's been, it's been something. And that's, it's been a whole new career for me. I have not yeah. been a merchant in the past and I built a website and I got a photo studio so that I could take, you know, professional pictures from, as I learned every possible angle of every toy that I had. And, um, and then I had to learn how to um, ship vintage toys so that they arrive perfect and in pristine condition at the other yeah. end. But the advisory board guys from all around the world gave me very specific instructions and I followed them. You know, everything must, all right, put everything you have, get a whole bunch of different size Ziploc bags. Everything must go in bags immediately. Yeah. And then, you know, I can't tell you how many rolls of bubble wrap and, uh, and pink styrofoam peanuts I have in my garage now. But, uh, but I, I kind of, I'm, I'm a perfectionist, so yeah. I kind of get off on packaging these things. It takes me a long time to package just one shark in a box, but I have not had out of the hundred and... 30 some odd things that we've shipped out. I haven't had anybody complain or return anything or anybody have any damaged products. So thank, thank you U S post office because that they've done the majority of the shipping all around the world. Yeah. And it's, it's incredible. I did see some of the prices and it's, it's funny when you look on like eBay for these like loose scuffed up, like figures, you got some of them going for like 70, 80 bucks so in package, I've seen some of those prices where they're pristine and it's like, oh my, I would never open it. It would just sit on my shelf for that kind of a, a dollar amount. Well, you know, I can't claim to, un- I have my own things that I like to collect or, yeah. or obsess over. So I, I'm not going to judge anybody else, but I can't say that, uh, that there's anything in my life that, that, that I would pay a lot of money for to just look at on the shelf. Yeah. When you worked for Mattel uh, back in the 90s, early 90s, did you work at Mattel during the era of Teen Talk Barbie? Yeah. So here's a question I have. We, I, I just finished a series with a friend of mine on this podcast about something called the Barbie Liberation Organization. Do you know about that? Depends on which Barbie Liberation Organization you're talking about. I know that 
that Greenpeace uh-huh. had an action at Mattel headquarters with a pink bulldozer and a woman dressed as Barbie that was in concert with dropping a six-story long banner from the roof of the building protesting the use of clear-cut forests for Barbie packaging. Holy moly. And they got Mattel, after a number of years, to ch- change the packaging and, uh, and agree not to use, you know, the, the trees they, they shouldn't be using. Yeah. So that, and I believe they used some variation of the Barbie liver. So that may not be the one you're talking about. I believe, so it's the one where they swap the talk boxes with G.I. Joe. Oh, okay. But in the, I, I love that stuff. I have to say, <laughs> those you're talking about super major corporations. And yes, it will be very disappointing if any kid gets that. That's not like, oh, wow, how cool is this? Yeah. But, but we both know that if any kid gets one of those that didn't want that, the company's going to replace it immediately. Yeah. Um, but I love creative. I mean, you probably know about the, the hoax character uh, of the street sharks that never existed, but that folks put in Wikipedia and other online um, Bibles of the show, and then other people weighed in on it. And I, I'm trying to remember, was it a female Blades character, female? I believe so. Yes. And so did, they, did Mattel ever think, oh, maybe we should just add this character in? No, because that happened, I think, after the sharks had had okay. their run. Um, but, you know, as the creator, thumbs up to that. Um, yeah. I, I, major corporations and major properties are, are ripe and deserved targets for fun pranks like that. <laughs> and then I, as, uh, like later on, there's a very popular video that is with the street sharks and Vin Diesel playing with the street sharks. Oh Yeah. Was that, did you, were you oh, around hired, at that time? Oh, I wrote his script and I, <laughs> and I hired him along with um, Mrs. Collins, who did all the casting for Mattel. Vin Diesel was not Vin Diesel then. Yeah. That was his name. But um, like I said, we used to go to New York and hire two to 300 um, New York actors to do Toy Fair and play Barbie and He-Man and Hot Wheels race drivers and Captain Hook and all the Disney characters. And so months before Toy Fair, we would go and do auditions and and rent a big ballroom at the Waldorf or some other hotel and bring in actor after actor and have them read. And we had hundreds of parts to cast. Um, and, and, and then they would do scripts that I and a handful of other, you know, Toy Fair writers did. So when Vin Diesel came in, it was just he was he wasn't Vin Diesel because nobody knew who he was, but he was that guy. Yeah, he had that character, even more raw and and youthful, like a young Stallone. If you've ever seen him in his oh, early yeah. films, and so he was like, "Oh yeah, no, this is a no brainer." And then um, when we did Toy Fair, he was just fantastic. He he wore a leather vest with a fin on it that our <laughs> costume guys had, and then instead of wearing a muscle shirt, he wore no shirt because yeah. he he was ripped, and he did the script, but he went off script so well because he was just so cocky and sure of himself. And so a big moment at Toy Fair is the night before the Toy Fair opens for the very first customers when Jill Barad, the CEO, walks through with her her lieutenants Mm -hmm. and decides, yeah, this is okay or no, tear that whole thing down and rebuild it by tomorrow morning. I want it to look like this instead. So 
that was like fright night at Mattel. And the night that she came in and toured the the Street Sharks gallery and Vin was doing his thing, he didn't start the script. He waits and then and she's there and then she looks at him and he looks at her. And then he says, well, if it isn't the prettiest little CEO I've ever seen. Oh, my God. And everybody goes until Jill cracks up and then everybody cracks up. So... Yeah. Um, and then from that on, that was that was the hot gallery at Toy Fair. Everybody wanted, oh, you got to go see this guy doing this shark thing. It was like I was hoping they would still remember the sharks too. Yeah. Um, but um, but the amazing thing is that that video came out. Uh, I think People Magazine put it out. You know, they're so strict at Toy Fair uh, against anybody, and this was pre cell phone, so you would have had to have a video camera. Um, so strict on anybody taking any pictures or doing any video. That's mm-hmm. internal stuff only. Only toy buyers are supposed to see it. The public, you know, only sees what they show on media day, very carefully controlled. So the idea that somebody um, taped Vin doing most of that demo and leaked it out, you know, I'd been telling people for years, you know, Vin Diesel demonstrated my toy the first year was it oh yeah sure he did <laughs> you know <laughs> i have a couple of pictures but i wasn't smart enough to take a picture of me with vin diesel yeah. <laughs> before Seth. so i have these pictures of vin doing his thing with all the different toys yeah. okay so so yeah that was that was an incredible just imagine i mean first of all <laughs> never invented a toy before Secondly, I've been doing Toy Fair all these years, writing stuff for Barbie and all these other toys. And then the year <laughs> that my toy comes out, I get to write the script. Yeah. And the only reason I got to write the script was because I had to promise Mattel that I would never, ever, ever in- come to them with another outside toy invention. Oh, weird. Because, no, they told me as soon as that we signed the deal and the, and the, it was officially going to be a Mattel toy... I was told, hey, you know, we love you and, and we don't know who's going to do all the work you've been doing, but it's not going to be you anymore because you're now a toy inventor and okay. you cannot be a vendor who has access to all of our secrets and all of what we're planning two years in advance. Yeah. That would every other inventor we work with would would be furious and 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 it would be completely unfair. Yeah. And I said, oh, yeah, I didn't think of that. Wow. Okay. <laughs> and when they told me that, um, I also knew that any money that I might get from the sharks was a year, a year and a half away. Um, because that's how long it takes. You know, once you show something at Toy Fair, it's quite a while before, you know, royalties are being paid on toys that are being sold and licensed yeah. products. And so uh, all of a sudden I thought, wow, I think I might have made a big mistake inventing this toy because I've made a really lucrative amount of money that I can count on all of these different projects at Mattel. And plus I really liked doing that work. And so I said, what if I promise not to invent any more toys that this was just a, an anomaly, a one-off. This guy came to me. I wasn't out there looking to invent toys. And what if I promised to do that and, and wanted to just keep writing for you guys? And they, and they said, really, you would do that? Instead of, to- I said, yeah, I, th- I think I beat the odds pretty well on this one. I don't have another toy idea I'm ready to bring you. And, yeah. you know, I'd really like to do next year's Toy Fair script and the Barbie stuff. Uh, I'm ready to go. And they, so I made that agreement with them. And I never 
came back to them with another toy. Oh, that's incredible. That and I were... made a lot of money writing those scripts for several more years. Yeah. So with all of, uh, you said you went to the first Comic-Con with a different story that you had developed. Do you continue to go to conventions and sign autographs, meet with your people that loved Street Sharks and things? Well, that was the only Comic-Con and convention I've ever been to. Oh, my gosh. Uh, and um, no one's ever asked me to come and sign autographs or, you know, be that guy. Um, I think that might have changed now because my profile as the Street Sharks guy um, exploded this year thanks to, you know, having the toys for sale um, and interacting um, online and yeah. in podcasts and, and some other um, online video stuff about the shark. So um, I've just been really busy and never really tried to promote that part of. We interrupt this broadcast of Toys on Top to bring you this. Earth to Aliens have landed. Earthling. I want lowbrow art and bootleg toys. Toys, 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 toys. Well, you come to the right place. Earth to Kentucky is a shop for folks who love vintage sci-fi, lowbrow, and art bootleg toys. Toys, toys, toys. They're located over there at 836 Main Street, Covington, Kentucky. Toys, toys, toys. They carry original art, vintage action figures, designer bootleg toys, and toys, 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 and t-shirts. Designed exclusively for their store by some of their favorite artists. Thank you, Earthling. I enjoy Earth to Kentucky. I have all my favorite bootleg art toys. toys. Hey, look at that over there! It's a spaceship! Yeah. I need to go now. Someone's filming me in my spaceship. Shop now. www.earthtokentucky.com That's earth2kentucky.com Or just land your spaceship when they're open. Uh, and I didn't have anything to, to sell. And um, So, and I don't know if that many... I, a couple of years ago, a guy named Daniel Edwards... Uh-huh. Backed me down and did an interview with me, and he told me I was really hard to find, and I thought that was really funny because if you Google me, I'm all yeah. over the, but not but not for toys. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, um, I'm. I think I'm probably most known um, for the work I've done on the environment and mm-hmm. and LA's um, renewable energy program, which I created and started and got the county to fund and now it's two counties and dozens and dozens of cities and and I tend to do things like that and then now I'm on to the next thing so by the time that launched I was already starting to write plays uh, back in 2017 and now I've just had my 28th play um, produced holy uh, moly and so and I do short one act plays okay uh, which seem just right for the times we live in because a 10 minute play seems like a, a, a three hour play today. Yeah. Holy so. moly. This has been such a pleasure talking to you about all this stuff. And I hope that we can get you to a convention to sign things of sign my shirt that says slam <laughs> on it or something. Well, I'd be happy to. Yeah. You know, I th- I, it sounds like, you know, consider it from my standpoint, what an interesting thing to do um, to go somewhere and sit down at a table and then yeah. sign your name. And look, I, I know because I have heroes and I have things that, you know, that I obsess about. Um, but it's been really um, different for, for me to hear from so many people what impact um, that a small part of what I did had on their childhood. And people, of course, especially my Italian friends, are very effusive yeah. and emotional 
about just how much it means to them. (laughs) So I'm getting a lot of love. And and I'm also confused, too, because the translation sometimes from different languages. I've had at least three Italian collectors tell me that to them, I am a myth. Oh. And I said... And I, I like to, you know, I'm, I'm not a, a totally serious guy, as yeah. you noticed. So I say to all of them, are, are you sure you don't mean legend? Those words <laughs> are very similar in Italian. And, you know, I'm, I actually do exist, so I'm probably not a myth. Yeah. <laughs> but so far, I haven't, uh, I haven't gotten a laugh out of that from them. I love that. Well, what I, I got to say what spurred me on, besides the fact that I loved it when I was a kid, um, I work with a lot of artists that do bootleg toys or knockoff toys and art toys. And I started searching for the toys that haven't been used. And so I did a deep dive and it's like when people create new characters, they usually take an arm from this one legs from that one, and they'll develop a whole new IP, but no one has done that with the street shark like characters and so it's just such an interesting thing that there are whole toy lines missing from that the whole art piece well i wonder why that is i wonder if that has as much to do with mattel's own um drive to do their own you know alt versions of toys like they just did with the sharks recently uh where they released three collector versions of um, street sharks that um, supposedly they never got to make originally, which is, yeah. I, I used to write stories like that for marketing for Mattel. That's complete crap. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> <laughs> I just got to say, they're just so full of it. Why don't they just say Mattel creations exists to monetize the hell out of anything that we've ever made or wanted to make. And we know that if we put out a thousand of them at 75 yeah. bucks, you're going to suck them up yeah. <laughs> almost so, instantly. When they created those new Mattel creations, did you have, did they contact you? Did you have any kind of. No, that's why, that's why I'm being so sarcastic about them. (laughs) I live 7.8 miles from Mattel. And I think Alton may have had um, his hard drive wiped Uh. because, because Alton and I worked so closely for that critical time when, when we made the final decisions on who the Mattel characters were and what their names were and what the background was and what the conflict was and what city they were in and all of that. And so then to read the stuff uh, with Mattel Creations and the new Sharks about how Mattel went, how Alton went back into his files and looked at designs that, you know, that they didn't make back then, I thought, Wait a minute! Don't, didn't you see my name in your files too, Alton? Why, why don't you give me a call? We could have had lunch. I would have drove over there. Holy moly! Yeah, I saw that, and I immediately—they just look so crazy different than what we were used to. And so, in seeing that, it was like I don't know if he had any talk with Mattel. Oh no! Well, yeah. I called those the the South Beach Miami Vice Sharks. Yeah. And the original Sharks, of course, are West Coast Sharks. So yeah. <laughs> they would never wear pastels. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. that's okay. Hey, you know, let me let me give Alton his due. Yeah. Um, there's a very big difference between our situation. He's an employee. Mm-hmm. Um, everything he did, Mattel owns. Yeah. And, and he can't, and anything he says or anything that is written in his name or purportedly said by him is Mattel property and created by Mattel. I'm a freelancer. Um, I never was an employee of Mattel. I turned down 
um, staff job at Mattel because I would have been a pay cut and because as a, I really prided myself on being uh, a freelancer that could work for anybody and that could also fire clients. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Which I did more than once. Yeah. So, and there's nothing sweeter because it's very, very hard to make a living as a freelancer. And you go through years of making no money. And then you have your fellow freelancers. Once you are making money, all your friends are not. So you still have that, that kind of thrifty attitude. So um, I always said, you know, staff jobs are for guys that could make it as freelancers. <laughs> <laughs> Rub it in. Of course, I didn't get any health care. Yeah. <laughs> or, and I just can't imagine. My wife worked at Mattel for 17 years as an employee, and she was terrific. She was on the licensing side, and that's a whole other fascinating story. But, um, but after 17 years, she left with a, a, a very healthy pension from Mattel. Yeah. And, you know, she left 20 years ago, and <laughs> Alton was there then, and he's still there. So he will be doing terrifically well i hope in his retirement if and when that day comes yeah because he's been there uh an eternity yeah holy moly so uh the last part of all the episodes of the podcast i usually give the person i'm interviewing the opportunity to plug everything that they're doing what they've got coming up and all that stuff so you want to plug all the stuff that you've got going on right now well i'll plug a couple of things love it first of all in the in the spirit of sharkmas now that it's the Sharkmas season, uh, I want to invite everyone um, to come visit MrJoe.com, M-R-J-O-E.com. I am Mr. Joe, and I've been on the Internet so long, I own the URL, MrJoe.com. Imagine that. Um, but come, come over and take a look. I uh, originally built the website to offer all of the Street Shark vintage toys that I put away new in package in cartons in my attic back in 1997. And it was just this year that I unboxed them all. And so you can see the unboxing videos on MrJoe.com. You can see all of the products that have already sold. And you can see um, the many um, um, Night Force and Space Force uh, Night Fighters and Space Fork Sharks I still have for sale, and the dozen or so sharks, original sharks in boxes that I still have left. Sharks like Turbo Jab and Rocks mm. and a few others. It's been um, exciting to connect with all of the street shark collectors around the world, and uh, I want to also tease that in addition to the sharks I stashed away as as well as my wife did, Cartons and cartons of new, unopened in-box Masters of the Universe. Holy moly. Hot Wheels, Barbie, uh, many of the toys I worked on for Playmates. I wrote package copy. I just haven't had the time to photograph all of those and put them online. But throughout the course of 2022 on MrJoe.com, all of those products will be offered for sale. And um, I will ship them to you in pristine condition if you buy one. And if you don't, I still wish you the happiest of holidays. Toys on tap. Toys on tap. Next episode. <laughs>
awesome. It's great. It's amazing. You're going to want to listen to it. It's not right now, though. You're going to have to wait till the next episode to listen to it. Oh, when's that? The next one. Cool. Toys on Tap. The next one's going to be good, too. So stay tuned and, and, and listen to that. Toys on Tap. Awesome.